Babasahin namin sa Aklat ni Juan, Kapitulo 5, Versikulo 1 hanggang 15. Ang papapagaling sa Bethesda. Pagkaraan nito'y dumating ang pistas ng mga Hudiyo at pumunta si Jesus sa Jerusalem. Sa lungsod na ito malapit sa pintuan ng mga tupa, ay may malaking deposito ng tubig na may limang portiko. Kung tawagin ito sa wikang Hebreo ay Bethesda. Nagtitipon dito ang maraming may sakit, mga bulag, mga pilay, at mga paralitiko. Hinahintay nilang gumalaw ang tupig sapagkat sa panahong bumababa ang isang anghel ng Panginoon at kinakalawkaw ang tubig. Ang naunang lumusong pagkatapos makalawkaw ang tubig ay gumagaling. Anuman ang kanyang karamdaman. Dito'y isang lalaking tatlongpong walong taon na may sakit at siya'y nakita ni Jesus. Alam nitong matagal nang may sakit ang lalaki. Tinanong siya ni Jesus, Ibig mo bang gumaling? Y le respondió el enfermo, Señor, no tengo a nadie que me meta en el estanque cuando el agua es agitada. Y mientras me muevo yo, otro desciende antes que yo. Jesús le dijo, Levántate, toma tu cama y anda. Y enseguida el hombre fue sanado, tomó su cama y anduvo. Y aquel día era sábado. Entonces los judíos le decían a aquel que había sido sanado, Es sábado y no te es lícito llevar tu cama. Pero él le respondió, El que me sanó, él mismo me dijo, Toma tu cama y anda. Tamanchiowa,那天你说拿起来走吧,的是谁?那一好的人,不知道他是谁,因为那里人很多,耶稣已经避开了。后来,耶稣在店里遇见那人,对他说,你已经痊愈了,不可再犯罪,免得招来更
Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. It is such a joy for me to have this opportunity to be here and to share with you about my work in Thailand. I look out and I see so many of my dear, dear friends, and it feels like family to me to be here. I also look forward to meeting some of the new faces that I see here, and it's exciting and it shows me all of the growth and all of the the good things that God is doing in this place. I also want to thank you for your world, world mission offering and for your generous prayers and your ongoing encouragement and support. So who here ever saw an episode of Survivor Thailand? We have just a couple people, I see. The rest of you aren't willing to admit that you actually watched the show. (laughs) Um, There they were, Brian and Clay. They were battling it out to the end. I hear they even ate tarantulas, believe it or not. I missed that episode. It was very unfortunate. But I live in Thailand, and Thailand is a very exciting place for many, many reasons. I've been there for about three and a half years, and many of the people that I work with are also just trying to survive. I work with tribal people in northern Thailand. They come from the rural villages in the the jungle around the Mekong River, where their ancestors have planted rice for many generations. But their world is changing. Environmental efforts are restricting the land that they can use, and while the cost of living rises, rises, the the price of rice has fallen. They have new needs now. In the past, tribal children, children never went to school. Now they want an education. In the past, if a villager was sick, they simply died. Now people want to take their family members to the hospital. And all of these things cost money. And so these villagers are sending their young people down out of the mountains into the cities to look for work. And it's there that they often end up as victims of exploitative labor and human trafficking. So today, I would like to talk about the real survivors Just like that man lying there by the pool of Bethesda, he was just trying to survive. We don't call these people paralytic anymore. We call them paraplegic. And this paraplegic has no special electric wheelchair or attending nurses. About a month ago, I went to visit a church. And after church, we went back to the home of the pastor, who was a very elderly man. And he had this chair 
It was a really cool chair. If you press the button, it ejects you out of it. And I thought, this is so great. Everybody should have one of these chairs, you know. But this paraplegic man, he didn't have any special chairs. And he was lying there by the pool, just begging for a bite to eat. I've seen this man. I've seen him on the streets of Bangkok and Chiang Mai. He has calluses on his arms from dragging himself along the street. I've seen his clothes. They're torn and dirty. And I've seen his eyes filled with despair, begging on the streets. And Jesus asks him, Do you want to get well? Before I went to Thailand, my first response to this verse was, Of course he wants to get well. What a ridiculous question. Why would Jesus even ask it? But now I see differently. Because I have walked the red light district and I have seen the women in black miniskirts waiting for a trick. They are broken and hurting people. They are not the mean, foul-mouthed criminals that I expected to find. And if you ask them about their family, they'll burst into tears and tell you about the daughter that they're trying to support or how the whole village is counting on them. They are so hopeless and despairing. They don't believe there is any other option for them. Do you want to get well? Get well? She's just trying to survive. None of us is born into the world expecting to live a life of suffering. But I know this church knows a lot about suffering. And nobody gets out of this life without some kind of pain or grief or hardship. And the message of the church is often, don't doubt, don't suffer, don't struggle, and if you do, don't tell anybody about it. But that's part of our faith journey. I've had a lot of disappointments and heartbreaks in my life, some big and some small. And I remember the moment when I decided deep in my heart that hope wasn't worth it. It's such a small memory. Hardly worth remembering, really. But it told me that the world is a harsh place. And I'd better not ask for too much. I was six years old. My 21-year-old brother was sitting in his big chair and I was on the floor. He was drinking from a bottle of Coke and he offered me a sip. I said, sure, I'd love to have a sip of your Coke. And I stood up with a big smile on my face. He took one look at me and drank the whole bottle down. Just kidding. You know how brothers can be. But I learned in that moment that I was small and unimportant. I learned that I better not expect too much. And I determined in my heart that I would not hope again because hope lures us into the promise that something good is yet to come. But the world is filled with unrealized requests, disease, broken relationships, injustice and heartbreak, and it hardens the soul. When did you make that decision? 
At what moment in your life did you say, I will not allow anyone to hurt me in that way again? To us, to me, Jesus asks, do you want to get well? And what he really wants to know is, do you still have it in you to hope one more time? When Jesus asks this question of the man at the pool of Bethesda, he answers, oh, but I've, I've faced so many hardships. I have no one to help me down into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. My life is so hard, I can't bear it to hope for healing. And so there he sat by the pool for 38 years, waiting for a ripple in the water, a bubble, a breeze, something to indicate that the water would heal the next person. Can you imagine anything more pathetic? All these handicapped people staring at the pool, racing to be the first one to jump in. And then Jesus walks in. Their living water walks in the door and they don't recognize him. Just keep their eyes on that magic pool. Something good's got to come out of that pool. They put their trust in a pool which was bound to disappoint them because at least the disappointment was predictable. And who would dare to hope for real healing? Some of you may have heard about the New Life Center where I work. We have been ministering to tribal minority girls since 1987 when the center was opened by American Baptist missionaries, Paul and Elaine Lewis and Lauren Bethel. And the tribal people who come to live at the New Life Center come from a variety of different religious backgrounds, but the majority of tribal people practice a form of animism, which means that they believe the natural world is inhabited by spirits. There are spirits in the trees and spirits in the houses. So, for example, someone who came from a Hmong background and grew up in a rural Hmong village on the border between Thailand and Laos, they might believe that some of the causes of illness would be eating the wrong food at the wrong time, being affected by a change in the weather, neglecting to make offerings to your ancestors, being cursed, bumping into a spirit who lives in a tree, catching sight of a certain dwarf female spirit that eats earthworms, doing your laundry in a lake inhabited by a dragon, pointing your finger at the full moon, killing a large snake, urinating on a rock that looks like a tiger, or the most common cause of illness in the Hmong tradition, having your soul wander away and get lost. Methods of healing for a tribal person who believes in animism might include plant or animal sacrifices, interpreting of animal entrails, prayer to your ancestors, administering boiled herbs, pinching the skin on your neck until a bruise appears, wearing certain amulets or herbal bags or tying white string to your wrists. These days, many people also use drugs and alcohol to relieve their pain and their suffering. And sometimes their methods work and sometimes they don't. But beliefs 
and economic opportunities and level of access to medical care will influence the choices that people make. For 38 years, this paraplegic man had suffered. And when I hear his story, I can't help but be reminded of Israel wandering in the desert all those 40 years. Here they've come out of Egypt. They've been freed from slavery. God has done miracle after miracle to release them from bondage. And yet they still haven't figured out who God is. Their salvation is standing at the door. And there they are, complaining. Things are so bad. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. You've brought us out into the desert to starve us to death. But God is gracious. And God provides manna and quail and water for them. And they have enough to eat. But these Israelites continue to live out of the past. They're so used to despair that they don't dare to hope that something good is yet to come. During that time in the desert, the Lord is asking Israel the same question that he asks this man years later. Do you want to get well? Do you dare to hope? The Israelites need to be in the desert for a period of time. It's their in-between time, that place where God heals people and leads them from passive victims of oppression into active participants in the plan of salvation. It's that in-between time where they learn how to be the kind of people who can live on the other side of the Jordan. It's that space between slavery and the promised land. I often think of the New Life Center as being that kind of a place. It's an in-between time for our girls. They carry so much history from all that they have endured. Lack of education, poverty, lack of parenting by drug-addicted parents. Some are refugees from wars in neighboring countries, victims of human trafficking and sexual abuse. They are survivors. And for them, despair has become a way of life. When the girls come to us, we ask them this question, do you want to get well? The New Life Center is a place where girls get a chance to hope once again. And for some of them, it is literally a space between slavery and the promised land. We have one resident who grew up in a situation of exploitative labor, and I'll call her Star today. Star came over the border from Burma as a child of three with her mother and her brothers. And when they got to Thailand, this little girl was taken away from her family, never to see them again. At an early age, she started with odd jobs around the factory. She started taking the trash out and sorting piles of fruit, the good ones from the bad ones. As she got older, she had other jobs like carrying 45-pound bags of sugar and rice from the third floor down to the first floor and putting it into the customer's trucks. 
She said that sometimes she would drop a bag of sugar because it was just too heavy for her. And so they beat her with a bamboo stick on her arms and shoulders. They didn't provide any food for her, so she ate what she could find in the trash. Sometimes she went without food for two or three days at a time. She would work 21 hours a day and try to sneak in a few hours of sleep where she could. She had no bed, and so she slept on the stairs. If the factory owner found her sleeping, she would be beaten again. When this girl was 11, she noticed that the children of the factory owner were putting on a school uniform and going off to school each day, and she thought, I'd like to go to school. And so she asked the factory owner if she could go to school. He said, you don't need to go to school. You need to just stay here and work for me. That's your job. One day, the owner came down the stairs to find Star sleeping there and beat her for five hours. Then she took a pair of scissors and she brutally stabbed this little girl in the head and told her to go back to work. And so with blood streaming down her face, she went back to work. Later on that evening, she noticed that no one was watching her. And so when she took the trash out, this brave little girl decided to run away. She wanted to call the police, but she couldn't figure out how to dial a telephone. And so she ran away to the home of a customer who had been kind to her. And the incident was reported to the police, and she was taken to the hospital. Shortly after that, this little one came to live with us. She was 14 years old at the time. During her first few months with us, she was sullen and depressed. We would often find her off in a corner, crying. She began stealing from the other residents. She was desperately seeking the love and attention that she never got as a child. And so we comforted her and we cared for her. And we continued to pray for her and with her. Star had never learned how to eat properly. And so she would sometimes gorge herself on the food we gave her. Her body had never learned how to tell her when she had eaten enough. One day she actually ate 12 pieces of large pizza. This little 85-pound kid. She was crying because her stomach hurt so much we had to take her to the hospital. It took a long time before Star realized that there really would be three meals a day, every day. This girl was still living out of her past. Oh God, you brought us out of Egypt to starve us to death here in the desert. She had everything she needed, but she didn't dare to hope that tomorrow... God would provide again. For her, it was an in-between time. The space between slavery and the promised land. Soon, Star began to pray. She never had faith before, but she figured she would give it a shot. And she prayed for two things. That she would be able to go to school and that she would have a chance to meet her mother. 
Shortly after that, the Thai Department of Welfare called us. They had found Star's mother in a factory outside of Chiang Mai. And so we took her out to meet her mom. And it was an amazing reunion. Star had learned how to sew while she was with us. And so she had made her mother a quilt. And she was so proud to be able to present her mom with the special gift that she had made. Within a few months, Star was able and was ready to go to school. And off she went for the first time in her life. She put on her uniform and she went off to school, to the adult ed program. After she saw how God had answered her prayers of being able to meet her mom and being able to go to school, Star decided to accept Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. She went to Bible studies and she began attending church. And in December of last year, I had the joy of baptizing her in a local lake with five other residents. Star has stopped stealing now. And she's starting to make friends with the other kids. She has become the light and joy of the New Life Center. Just like Jesus invited this paralytic to get up and walk, we invite our residents to get up and walk. But there's work involved. Will they really believe that it's possible? What if this paraplegic had said to Jesus, Hello, I'm paraplegic. That means I can't walk. Besides, how am I supposed to make a living? I've been begging my whole life. I don't have any other job skills. But he didn't. This man believed enough to get up on his own feet. He believed that he could have a future and that he could learn what he needed to know for his new life. Jesus gives him a part in this whole event. He had to pick up his mat and walk. Isn't that just like Jesus? He doesn't need us to do a miracle. But he gives us a part in our own salvation. Out of his own grace. At the New Life Center, we can provide schooling and life skills training vocational training, art therapy, guitar lessons, everything a little girl needs. But it's up to her to choose to do the learning. She's given a role in her own salvation. She has to show up for classes and do her homework and engage her brain with the activities that we are offering. And for some kids, it takes a long time before they're willing to take the risk to hope that they might even succeed because who is going to pour their heart and soul into something if it'll just be one more failure to add to the pile star was one of those girls who was willing to take the risk she had the courage to go to kindergarten at 15 years old and believe it was not too late for her she decided that yes indeed she wants to get well And she inspires me to take the risk to hope again. Do you even remember when you made that choice years ago when you said in your heart, I will not allow anyone to hurt me in that way again. I will not hope. I will not expect any more out of this life. 
We've all experienced hurt and pain in our lives. And you might say, well, Kit, but you don't know what my pain is like. And that's true. But I tell you, if Star can take the risk to get up and pick up her mat and walk, I think I might be able to give it a shot. Do you have it in you to hope once again? To believe that something good really is yet to come? Even in the midst of broken relationships and disappointed dreams, is it possible to imagine that we might learn to love one another? That mothers can be forgiven for not being perfect. That fathers and sons can be reconciled with each other. That spouses can learn to treat each other with honor and respect. And that all children will have a chance to go to school. Is it too much to hope? Do you want to see the healing of families? The healing of injustices? The healing of nations? The healing of your own heart? I want to encourage you. Don't settle for survival. Because survival is not enough. God calls us to a life of significance. God calls us to healing and restoration and salvation and joy. Real joy. Will you leave your despair behind and dare to hope that something good is yet to come? Get up, pick up your mat and walk. Because your living salvation has come. And his name is Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Holy Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you. That you have not given up on us. But that you continue to work in our lives. To work in our hearts and in our churches and in our families. We pray that you would give us the courage to hope once again and to trust in all that you have prepared for us and for our lives. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and our Savior. Amen.